Gold. I'm sure you've heard about investing and building your portfolio with it, but how confident are you in making the right decisions when faced with deciding if it's a right investment for you or not? Our guest will help us give us a few insider tips in whether we should buy gold or not. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. I am super pumped to bring this topic to you because, well, I've been interested in this since I was like five years old. This episode is about gold, the psychology behind buying and selling it, and what all of us as investors should know about precious metals. So who better to bring in than the expert from Kitco Metals, Peter Hug. Peter is Kitco's Director of Global Trading and has a vast amount of experience having been in the precious metal market since 1973. He's worked at one of the largest international trading houses for precious metals, developed the first precious metals certificate program, and the first margin trading accounts for metals on the cash market. To say he knows his stuff is seriously understating his credibility. Before we jump into the show, this one is sponsored by Physician Wealth Services, my fee-only financial planning firm. After witnessing how vulnerable our physician friends were during my wife's residency and fellowship, I set out to start my own fee-only financial planning practice to help physicians who could truly benefit from unbiased quality financial advice. Our team now helps physicians all over the country create a life they love using the resources they have to help them feel in control of their money the same way that you make a patient feel better about their health. If you're looking for a fiduciary that truly understands the life of a physician, I encourage you to reach out directly at physicianwealthservices.com. So I can't wait. Let's jump right in and talk all about precious metals with Peter Hug. Peter, I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. It's an honor to, to be speaking with you today. That's my pleasure to be here, Ryan. So I'm kind of joking when I say this, but you know, we spend money to get gold out of the ground and then we refine it to maybe its final form. And then we go back and bury it into the ground into a vault. Why would anyone buy gold or silver in that case? I'm obviously I'm joking, but why would people want to buy gold and silver? Well, I think you need to look at gold as an asset class. I'm very wary on commentators and analysts that come out and, and basically try to scare people into an investment class by indicating, you know, the financial market is going to collapse, you know, or the government may ban the ownership of gold, uh, which uh, unfortunately has been the history in the United States. But their tactic in getting people interested in gold and then trying to get them to buy gold or to uh, to transact in gold is, is usually generated from a basis of fear. Mm-hmm. And there are times when gold acts extremely well when you have those types of situations, like in 2008 when we had the financial collapse, gold held up very well relative other assets. But gold is nothing special. It's, it's not the end-all, be-all. Gold is a good investment and it's a bad investment. It really depends on your timing. It depends on, on your motivation as to why you want to get into gold. You know, what's the purpose behind you investing in gold? Is it for capital gains? Is it to protect a portion of your portfolio against inflation? Is it uh, for just 
the comfort level of holding gold. A lot of people get comfort from holding gold. It's extremely portable. So you could put 10 coins of gold in your pocket and basically travel around the world and uh, you know, you'd have liquidity no matter which market you went into. So why you buy gold is more a psychological question, but when you should buy gold is really just no different than when you should buy or sell Apple stock, for example. So I think that's interesting. You, you brought up a couple points that I'd like to jump into. So I don't know of any other market that is so based on f- selling on fear, right? It's everywhere. And this is probably the first time that as listeners are, are hearing, that's probably the first time how they actually heard about buying and selling gold to hold it in your portfolio is mm-hmm. based on some type of fear tactic. That's absolutely true. I mean, if you go to the conferences, uh, Ryan, I've been in this business since 1973. And, uh, you know, I looked at sort of the psychology of investors back in the 79-80 period when gold first ran to 850 and silver ran to $50. And I compared it to the sort of the psychology of the investor I see today. And all of the conferences I go to or whenever anybody runs into me and finds out what I do for a living, you know, the first question is, should I buy gold? You know, I've decided never to answer that question without first asking, what's your motivation? And when you break down the psychology of gold investors, they generally fall into four groups. And this has been relatively consistent since gold started trading freely after uh, the the U.S. government detached it from the dollar back in 72. Mm -hmm. The first group, just sort of in broad strokes, I call the the people that are influenced by the analysts that think the world is coming to an end and uh, you need gold in the apocalyptic world that's going to follow when the fiat currency system collapses and you need it in the form of a hedge and obviously um, society is going to be running rampant. Gold is going to be able to protect you in those circumstances. I can't honestly understand and don't uh, necessarily agree with the conclusion of that argument. But it's a fairly significant group that is responsible for about a 20% offtake of the physical precious metals, coin and bullion market, especially in the United States. The second group I consider more the conservative investor that is looking to hold about 10%, 5%. You can pick your percentage. It really depends on your risk tolerance, your age and what, again, your, your goal is. In your portfolio, from the perspective of protecting the balance of your portfolio, should that uh, balance of your portfolio suffer an adverse move, i.e. 2008, you know, gold moved from approximately $400, uh, $500 an ounce up to $1,900 an ounce during the financial crisis. So in that context, it did provide somewhat of a hedge against the balance of your portfolio that was getting uh, decimated uh, when the stock market crashed to under 7,000 back in 2008 and nine. The third group are traders. They have no loyalty to the market in the sense that they're bullish one minute, they're bearish another minute, and they are strictly in it for capital gains. They try to take advantage of moves in the gold price and they are active traders. They are usually involved in the futures markets or options markets. Uh, It's in their interest to get as much leverage as possible because the purpose in the context of uh, investing in gold is strictly uh, for capital gains. They use it as a trading vehicle. And the fourth group, which also is responsible for a significant offtake in the market, is what I call the collector. And uh, these are individuals that uh, buy coins that are issued by sovereign mints. Not necessarily bullion coins, although the bullion content does tend to be one ounce of either silver or gold, but they tend to be themed coins and could be Mickey Mouse, could be uh, 
World War One vintage airplane designs. You pick whatever motif you uh, you want to come up with, and I'm sure there's a coin that exists that uh, displays that motif on the world market. Especially Canada. Canada's apparently like decided to go and make everything a mintage of super low, and here's like some weird character or gimmick on it. Where at least the U.S. I think mint is not at that stage just yet, but I feel like maybe getting there. Yeah, there wasn't 20. Uh, we do a lot of work with the Royal Canadian Mint. Uh, we're, we're a distributor for their uh, both their gold and silver maple leaves. Mm-hmm. And we were at one of their conferences back in uh, early 2018, and they were indicating they were putting out a coin pretty much every business day of the year. So wow. they're uh, they putting out an average of 250-odd coins or 60 coins a year. And again, it's personally... Uh, I've never considered it a good investment. I mean, the underlying inherent gold content or silver content is always going to have the value of the metal content relative market. But it's very difficult for these coins on the secondary market. It's it's rare in the sense of them uh, trading at substantial premiums to issue price because when they first come out, they usually come out in boxes or in some fancy display type of wrapping, which creates, and with the limited edition, creates a considerable premium to the bullion content of the coin. So, uh, you know, a one ounce silver coin, which may trade at at $20, a collectible one ounce Superman coin may come out at $45. So it's like 100%, 150, 200% over intrinsic value. You might get lucky and somewhere down the road, they may be worth more money than you paid for them. But generally, uh, it's not a good investment from the perspective of buying and selling to make money. It's, It's more a hobby and it's a collectible and people enjoy it. And that's the reason that they buy all these various mintages. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting and good thing to kind of point out. And I'm going to actually pull back the kimono here for a second and let listeners know that you know I've they already know I'm a money nerd, but I'm like a really big nerd. And this is totally going to set it off. But I started collecting coins when I was five with my grandpa. And I and I've always just been interested. It's almost like stamp collecting, right? You know, like there's very few people left doing it, especially probably at my age. Most of the the coin collectors, I would say, are a lot older than I am, but I do know quite a bit about numismatics and what you're talking about. It does deal with finishes and, you know, there's labor and everything that, you know, the mints have to put into these things. So you can't just sell it at bullion cost. That kind of breaks us into this next piece that I want to go into is there's junk silver, there's numismatic, there's bars, there's rounds, coins. I mean, there's all sorts of different ways to own gold or silver. And I think we've talked enough on the numismatic piece, but could you talk on the other forms that someone could potentially hold? And and let's talk about not the person buying based on fear. Let's talk about the person that's saying, Hey, I just want to own 5%. Let's say, uh, this is what they wanted to do. I want to own 5% of my portfolio in this. What are some of the other ways? And maybe talk about the differences of how they could own that if they want to. Ever since the beginning of time, and for me, it's it's going on 46 years of being in this business, there's sort of a mantra that is spoken at conferences and by analysts in their newsletters that it's important that you hold 10% of your assets in gold. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that number. Uh, it could be a higher number. It could be a lower number. So before I answer your question, I just want to identify that gold is a commodity. It's the same as oil. There's a lot of supply-demand issues that create movement in the price of gold. It tends to trade inversely against the value of the U.S. dollar. So if you have U.S. dollar strength, you tend to have weakness in the commodity market, including gold. And if you have weakness in the dollar, you tend to have strength in the gold slash commodity markets. 
So there are windows of opportunity to get in and out of this market from a trader's perspective. Again, the same way you would trade Apple. Somebody would argue that Apple's a great investment. Well, if you bought Apple uh, eight weeks ago or about 10 weeks ago at 230, you wouldn't be agreeing with that statement. Now, if you got Apple uh, 15 years ago, you'd be happy. Gold is the same as a lot of, of other investments. It sometimes has to, a lot of it has to do with timing and sort of the momentum of the market. That being said, ever since I've been in the business, I've had analysts say you have to buy 10% of your assets in gold. But if we use that statement as a true statement, what the analysts never do is they never finish the thought. And the thought needs to be finished as follows. Since gold is part of your portfolio, you don't just buy 10% and ignore the fact that it's in your portfolio. What you need to do is you need to calibrate your entire portfolio, whether it's stocks, bonds, real estate's a little bit more difficult on a short-term time horizon, but stocks, bonds, anything you tend to do in the uh, securities markets. And if you add gold to that mix, you need to calibrate that and verify that it's meeting your objectives at least every six months. So let's assume you bought gold in 2008 when it was trading at $600 an ounce. By 2011, that gold position, assuming you bought 10% of your portfolio, that gold position is when gold got to $1,900 was probably now representing 24, 25% of your portfolio. Whenever it gets out of sync, like by more than 3%, you need to sell a part of your gold position to keep it back down at 10%. Vice versa, had you been encouraged to buy gold by the people that said the world was coming to an end back in 2009 and you paid uh, you know $1,925 for it, you paid the high of the market, four or five years later gold was trading at under $1,100. Your portfolio position now no longer represents 10%, it was probably down at 3 or 4% of your portfolio value. You need to buy gold to bring it back to 10%. So if your psychology is that you want 10% as an insurance position, you can't just forget that 10%. You need to make the adjustment based on the value of your portfolio as your portfolio either grows or goes down relative to gold value to that portfolio. If you do that, you'll find that you'll have a constant 10% insurance position, but you'll be lightening up on that insurance position as the value of gold goes higher and you'll be adding to that insurance position as the value of gold goes lower, again, all relative to your portfolio. Now, in that context, you now have to answer one other question. How comfortable do you feel with the financial system? So if you are not in the first group, which has total distrust for the financial system and will only buy physical gold, they want to hold it in their hands because they don't trust anyone, assuming you're not in that category, but you are comfortable with the regulatory market or the market in general, be it the securities market, the bond market, or the metals market. There are much better ways to invest in the gold market than buying physical gold bars. So I'm actually talking against what my company does as a business because when you buy physical gold, you pay a premium relative to gold price. So when you buy any investment, you want to try to get it as close to the value of the true market as possible. In that context, investors have options such as ETFs, but a half a percent carry cost per annum. But ETFs are an option. You can also buy physical, but if you buy physical, you might want to consider buying physical in the context of buying it in a trading account or we have a digital account program with the Royal Canadian Mint as the custodian where the spreads are relatively tight compared to the physical market.
and so and now, that's because they're you're actually not taking physical ownership of it, right? This is it's going to sit at the RCM, and they're buying it, but then it stays there. But it is physically backed, and the custodian is the Royal Canadian Mint. But it's mm-hmm. backed in bulk. So what you have is, a, just to give you an example, if you uh, the gold price uh, closed approximately at uh, twelve ninety today. I'm just giving you round numbers slightly. Mm-hmm. If you buy a, a one ounce eagle, uh, you're going to pay a premium of somewhere between forty five and sixty five dollars over twelve ninety for that one ounce gold eagle, and that does not include shipping, and possibly insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's possible you're paying as much as an $80 premium with some dealers for a Gold Eagle, which is a premium at current market of, uh, you know, almost 6%. Okay. When you want to make an investment that is part of your portfolio, you don't want to get in with a loaded cost of 6% over market. I mean, that to me makes no sense. So on the digital platform or on an ETF, you're buying gold probably under a half a percent to market. Okay. So if it's 1290, I mean, you're looking at 1293 or something like this. Yeah, like 1293, looking... 1295, depending on the type of product. Got it. And, and and I'd like to relate this back really quick because I've talked about it on the show before, but as you're talking about the premium over spot or to the you know spot price of gold here, it's almost like a loaded fund. Like you're, you're paying like a sales load almost to get into it. You're getting less for it. And then you're going to have some costs getting rid of this stuff as well. So I think right, we're, we're kind of breaking into this piece of should I own physical? If someone was to buy gold, should they own physical? You know, Should they have it where it's allocated or, or pooled? You know, I think this is a, a fascinating topic. So continue with the RCM and it's actually really low spread. Well, one of the other advantages also of having the dealer, and again, you need to do your research on the dealer uh, and research the product, find out who's backing the product, what, you know, where it's held, uh, what type of uh, confirmation you can get for the transaction, if there is any uncomfort level with you as to where you want to hold your gold. The advantage of that is if the dealer has got somewhat proximity to your gold, your liquidity is greatly improved. Because right now, if you buy a one ounce gold bar, I got to deliver it to your house. Now, when you sell it back, Kitco is, I wouldn't say unusual, but Kitco does make a market up to $50,000 where clients can sell their product back and we'll lock in a price before we receive it. It'll be obviously not paid out until you verify the product. But now the client's got shipping costs back to the dealer. Some dealers may not buy until they see the products. Now you've got a delay in getting a price if you're looking to exit the market for some reason quickly. So the liquidity is greatly impaired if you're holding the physical yourself. But again, it comes down to that psychology. Is that important to you to hold the physical? And if it is important to you hold the physical, then you need to determine, okay, if I want physical, what's the best physical product? And from an American perspective, Americans are enamored with the gold eagle. Now, the gold eagle, as a gold coin goes, in my opinion, is probably the worst coin you can buy. Really? Well, I'm now, now I'm interested. Let's, let's, I want to hear why. Because I'm going to compare it to other options, and I'm speaking strictly here from an American perspective. Absolutely. Well, everyone listening is American. <laughs> okay. Well, I wish to say we do have some overseas. We've hit, hit like, I don't know, 50 countries. But for the most part, let's say we're mostly American. Okay. So the U.S. Mint is the only mint that hasn't changed their pricing policy since they issued the Eagles back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. 86, right? 86. And what they charge, and this is to a dealer, so somebody that is a distributor of the U.S. Mint that has access directly to the U.S. Mint. Uh, The U.S. Mint gives no deals, uh, whether you buy 100 coins or 10,000 coins. Any dealer that is authorized with the U.S. Mint 
pays 3% premium for a one ounce gold eagle. No matter what, you no can buy in bulk. Wow. Okay. No matter what, there is. I always gold. felt like the big dealers got, because, you know, some of them, like, you know, of your competitors can make a market in some of these collectible coins. I always thought that they got a back of, not back a spot, but, you know, if it's coming out at a thousand bucks, they're going to get it for 980 or something like that. But it's. No dealer gets anything under milk value. Of course. I mean, melt, that would make sense, but you yeah. know, and then there's costs associated, but okay. So you're saying there's basically a 3% premium yeah. on from top the, of it for a dealer. From the mint. And that's local San Francisco. That's where the U S mint makes delivery. Yep. Okay. So now I want it in New York, which is my distribution hub. Again, I'm just giving you, and we'll ignore that because that's just incidental cost. but I'm, I'm paying 3% as a dealer. So the gold price is at 1290, 3% again, just for rough numbers is a $38 per coin premium I pay. Okay. Now, if clients come to me directly, I'm going to probably sell them that coin somewhere between $50 and $65, depending on the quantity that they're buying. Okay. If another dealer comes to me, I'll probably give it to them at maybe $45, and then that dealer's going to mark it up and also sell it at $60 or $70 to the uh, retail public. Now, the problem with a gold eagle is if you stay in the United States, it's a, it's a good enough coin. The problem is in Canada dealers discount those coins because it's not a 24 karat gold coin. So in Canada, when you sell a gold eagle, it's taxable. So dealers are not aggressive bidders for the eagle. If for some reason you want to take your eagles over to China or Hong Kong to sell them, again, from a liquidity perspective, portable wealth perspective, the Chinese have no interest in gold eagles, also because it's not a 24 karat gold coin. So let's compare your options now to the gold eagle. The U.S. Mint has an option that competes with the Royal Canadian Mint Gold Maple Leaf, the British Gold Britannica, the Australian Kangaroo, which are all four nines gold coins, and the U.S. version of that is the Gold Buffalo, which is a four nines gold coin. That coin, unfortunately, however, also sells at a 3% premium. So again, dealer acquisition cost is 38 bucks. So retail, you're going to go anywhere from, again, 50 to 65, depending on the dealer. I've seen it higher than that as well. Oh, yeah. I've seen it much higher than that. So if you look now at your comparable coins, the most competitive coin from a perspective of volume in the North American market against the U.S. Eagle Buffalo is the Royal Canadian Mint Gold Maple Leaf. Mm -hmm. It's a four nines gold coin, which means it's 24 karat. So not only do you have liquidity both in the U.S., now you have liquidity in Canada and also liquidity in Europe and in the Far East. The coin from the Royal Canadian Mint is offered to distributors at $20 over spot. Oh, fixed fee. Fixed price. So now I can make this coin available to another dealer at $25 or I can make it available retail at $30 to $45, anywhere from $25 to $35 cheaper than the American Eagle, same amount of gold same liquidity. That's funny. I'm, I'm smiling over here because we talk a lot on this show about like flat fee and percentages based on numerous services. But being an advisor, I, I charge a fixed flat fee and it's very rare. Most advisors charge on a percentage. And it's just funny to hear like, oh, dealers don't like paying a percentage, but and they, they search out that fixed flat fee even in different markets. So it's, it's making me smile as I, I hear it because obviously everyone would rather have a fixed flat fee, know what it is, not some sliding scale. So it even holds true in the gold market, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, the, deal, the dealers really don't care. I mean, they're, they've got their markup in there no matter what. But for, I'm, my comment is meant for the retail investor that's actually yeah. paying an extra $30, $35. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to buy gold, even less expensive than buying a coin, you can buy a bar. 
And you can get one ounce gold bars from source, whether they are Royal Canadian Mint one ounce gold bars, PAMP out of Germany offers one ounce gold bars in the U.S. market. Those bars will trade anywhere from 15 to $20 retail. So Peter, I got a question for you and we're going to keep going a little bit more into this, but you know, we're, we're talking about bars. Why is it that bars, even for the general public to buy them from dealers, go at a very small fraction over spot versus coins? Is it because it's easier to basically create them? What's the, the draw on this? Well, the manufacturing cost on one ounce gold bars, generally they're poured or even when they're minted, the fast press mints now can make the one ounce gold bars, uh, in volume. Now, what you would assume is that it's cheaper to make one ounce gold bars than one ounce gold coins. I, I think what the real reason is that the, the cost to the mints is probably similar, probably a little bit more expensive on the gold coins because you've got to go through more dyes. And, you know, the, the process of the reeded edges and all those things tend to be a bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. But the reason coins are more expensive is because the market will bear that expense. And really, the precedent for this is the U.S. Mint. If the mint, U.S. Mint wanted to be extremely aggressive and put out their eagles at $15 to dealers, uh, the other mints would follow. They have that margin room. But because the U.S. Mint is at 3%, it's opened a window for the other sovereign mints to basically come into the U.S. market and offer product at considerable discounts to the gold eagle. Doesn't surprise me. I don't know. As a collector and been collecting my entire life, the U.S. Mint is just continually disappointed year after year after year. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that they're just not competitive. It's, it's sad, but doesn't surprise me at all. Well, they have the demand. You know, that's the thing. As long as they have the demand, I'll give you. I'll just give you one little story. I, I'm now an American resident, but I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and it was 1967, the last time the Leafs made it to the Stanley Cup. I'm sorry, you can't see on the other side. And, and for those listening, obviously, Peter and I can see each other as we're talking here. But I have a bunch of Golden Knight stuff on the other side of this other side of this computer screen. Okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Well, no problem. But if, if uh, right now the Maple Leafs, I mean, every year they seem to have a chance. But quite frankly, you cannot get a ticket to a Maple Leaf game for anything that's reasonable. I mean, it's always sold out, even in, in seasons where we don't win a game. I mean, that's just the way Toronto is relative to their sports teams. And the owner of the Maple Leafs back in the 70s said, as long as you idiots keep coming to a game and we're not a good team, I'm not going to spend the money to put a good team out there. And it's the same with the Eagle. It's I don't mean to call people idiots. It's just that there is so much demand and hype on the Gold Eagle and Silver Eagle that people look past the premium. And as long as they keep looking past the premium... The demand for these coins continues to be there, and the U.S. Mint just continues to sell it at that type of premium. So it's really a demand-based item, and as long as the demand is there, they're going to keep their premium up. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. If it's not broke, yeah. don't fix it kind of thing. You know, if people are paying it, why not? Peter, I've been watching the precious metals market for a relatively short time compared to you. Um, mm -hmm. I started really understanding paying attention to this probably in 2002, 2004-ish time frame until now. So I've seen at least one right boom-bust kind of cycle in this, but nothing like 1980. It's hard to predict anything. Heck, it's almost like an educated guess. But why do you think gold and silver would make an attractive investment for someone over the long haul? Again, you know, I don't like using over the long haul. I mean, I prefer much to look at gold as times to be invested in times to be more conservative relative gold exposure. Perfect. 
and it's the same as oil. And again, we came out with a call back in uh, September 2018, where we thought that the gold market had bottomed in August. And then we came out with a call in uh, early December before the Fed meeting, and we suggested that the market might continue on its upward track in December after the Fed meeting where they raised interest rates by a quarter percent because they, the same scenario had developed in December of 2018 and 2017, right after the Fed meeting in December, gold took off. And this year, it was also the same gold after the December meeting when gold was trading at about 1230. It's now trading at about 1290. Uh, so it's up an additional $60, but it's, all, it's up about $140 from the August low of 2018 at 1150. When you look at the reason why gold dropped over the past three or four years from the high in 2011 of 1925, you have to look at the sort of the overall psychology of why gold went up. Uh, first, it went up to some extent because of the financial crisis, but the financial crisis actually, when it first emerged, was negative for the gold price because people panicked and they sold everything they had to generate cash. Yeah, all, all correlations went to one and everything went down. Correct because people are raising cash in that environment. What caused gold to catch fire was the reaction of the Federal Reserve after the financial issue developed. You're talking about all the quantitative easing, correct? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. the quantitative easing and they dropped interest rates to zero in a hurry. And what that did was it slammed the US dollar. That was the sort of ignition key to move gold higher. Now in the current scenario, since about midsummer. All the Fed, uh, the Fed Chairman Powell and the Fed governors were all extremely hawkish. All of the analysts on CNBC or whatever, Bloomberg, whatever uh, news service you subscribe to, financial service you subscribe to, were indicating the Fed was looking to raise rates three to four times in 2019. Uh, we were aggressively against that theory. We believed that the Fed would raise in December and then would pause. And this was before the stock market ran into trouble. And it now looks like Powell coming out, he's much more dovish. He's indicating he's now going to wait before he raises rates again. And there are actually Fed governors now indicating rates may be dropped sometime in third quarter 2019. In that context, the dollar has been on an upward slope for the past four years. We believe that the dollar is about to turn lower in 2019. So we think that the gold market, even at 1290 after a $140 gain since August of last year, still has momentum to the upside. Now, once that momentum plays itself out, then we'll be coming out suggesting that gold is top heavy and you might want to take profits. So we treat it more as a trading vehicle as opposed to something to buy, hold and forget. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah, it's great perspective. I, I got one last question for you. Do we have any gold left in Fort Knox? No, I'm just kidding. But I, I do want to ask question all the time. <laughs> it's always fun to, to mess with them. But, it, you know, it's so rare that I get to talk to someone that's an expert in something that, you know, I know a little bit about, but just you have so much knowledge. So I do want to ask one more question of you, and it's more of a macro question. You know, the U.S. holds the most reserves of gold and several times what any other country or the IMF have. But do you ever see the possibility of, the U.S. going back to a, like a precious metal-backed dollar? Uh, I think it would be positive for the system, but I don't think the gold price would probably have to be valued at... $20. Well, no, significantly higher, I mean. Oh, it ha I mean, for how many dollars we have outstanding, yes, yeah. but then for them to make it actually work, gold would have to probably plummet for that, but it 
works in the yeah, universe. Yeah. I mean, I don't see it. I don't think the Federal Reserve recognizes gold as a monetary instrument. So I, I don't see the U.S. ever going back to the gold standard other than we had a total financial collapse. And, uh, and I don't mean scenario number one where you need gold as a barter system, but where everything basically gets recalibrated. So I don't certainly not going to be in my lifetime and I doubt it'll be in my children's lifetime that gold ever becomes a uh, sort of a reserve against the value of the U.S. dollar where you could actually take your dollars to the Federal Reserve window and convert them to gold. I just don't see it. Uh, gold would have to be fourteen, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars an ounce for that to, to be able to mop up even a fraction of the dollars that are in circulation out there. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. And I ask this, and people probably don't really know that, you know, you could actually trade silver certificates, the dollar ones, back in the 50s, you know, mm -hmm. at that. My, my grandpa, we actually have a 98 point something ounce silver bar that he got from the San Francisco. He used to go up with my mom when my mom was like eight and six, and he'd go up there and actually redeem his silver certificates, which is so cool to just think of that that even existed then. But there's absolutely, I don't think, any chance of that. And if it was a total collapse that you were kind of chatting on, it'd probably almost have to be a world backed, uh, like a world dollar backed by something like at the IMF level or, or whatever. I don't think we'd ever see that. But I was curious from what an expert would have in this, you know, what your thought was. So, uh, you know, again, it's based on uh, when you look, when you when you read the analysts, the premise of an analyst when he tells you to buy gold, I mean, if, if I wanted your listeners to take any anything away from this, mm -hmm. is that when somebody tells you to do something or, or suggests that you should do something, find out if there's other motivation there than they genuinely believe that the market is going to go that direction. And it's dangerous to take your advice from a gold dealer whose interest is in selling gold. It's difficult for a gold dealer to be bearish when his bread and butter is based on you buying gold from him. Peter, it's amazing because we talk so much on other financial aspects on the show, like insurance, right? And it's hard to separate when someone earns their living from selling insurance, if you ask them, hey, am I overinsured? Or is this whole life policy really good for me? Well, when you make 10 times more than selling a term policy, you look at it and it's like, well, there's a giant conflict of interest there. And I appreciate you saying that because take, you know, wherever you're getting your news, take it with a grain of salt. Understand that are they selling something? Are they pitching something? What are their conflicts of interest? Are they compensated by it? And excellent advice, Peter. As we wrap this out, where can people find out more about you? I know that you're on Kiko News and I actually see some of your videos from time to time, but you know, tell us a little bit about what you're up to and where we can hear about more about you. Well, what I'd like to leave uh, your listeners with is, uh, again, uh, as we started this, uh, Ryan, uh, you know, before we came on air, uh, mm -hmm. I can tell you that you're not going to find anybody more transparent than me. You know, when I was approached by Kitco back in uh, 2010, the, the owner happened to be a client of my banks uh, that I uh, traded for back in my days in Canada. Obviously, I didn't know the guy, but he was trading with my Montreal operation at the time, and he reached out to me and Kitco had grown from a staff of about eight to 220 and he asked me if I'd be interested in uh, coming out of retirement and helping him run uh, the precious metals division of the company. So I looked at it because uh, my teeth were cut on wholesale trading. Uh, we were making markets to the Russian central banks and the Swiss central banks uh, at my time at the bank. Our average trade size on gold was 50,000 ounces and silver was just north of a million when we That's... traded. So now we're doing, uh, he wanted me to take care of retail 
And I've had some retail exposure, but, you know, it's not my favorite avenue because there's a lot of little transactions and there's just a lot of work to do retail. Anyway, I looked at Kitco and I wanted to analyze whether or not I wanted to be involved again in the business. But secondly, did I want to be involved with a retailer? And one thing that I found, which is totally unique to Kitco, and uh, and I give the company kudos for that, is the website, which is kitco.com. And I always tell, I tell my kids, I tell my friends, if you're going to make an investment, and again, I don't care what it is, whether it's Apple stock, uh, you, you want to buy 10-year bonds, you want to buy munis, you want to buy real estate, understand what you're buying and make an informed decision. And where kitco.com really helps the investor, especially a novice investor, is that we post on average anywhere from 20 to 40 articles a day on our website. Wow. And not all of them are bullish. Some are bearish, some are bullish. And these are bankers, analysts, traders, mining experts, and they all give their views on where they think commodities, specifically gold, silver, but we also trade in palladium, rhodium, platinum copper, they express their views of where they see the market is going and why. So this gives the investor the ability of reading these and understanding what makes markets move. And then they can make an informed decision as to whether gold, silver, platinum, palladium, rhodium, or whatever commodity that's on our website, if it makes sense to them, then they can go from there to figure out, okay, now what's the best vehicle that I want to be involved in? But the first thing you need to figure out is, do I understand what I'm getting involved in? And does it make sense for my portfolio, my risk profile? And if all of that works, and then you can read and educate yourself as to what makes the market move, that gives you a huge leg up on then making the right decision on as to entry point and to what product you should consider holding in your portfolio. I mean, fascinating stuff. I actually really do like kitco.com, which is why I was so excited when you guys reached out to be on the show in order to chat with you. Just, it's an honor to talk with you, Peter. Thank you so much for the time and for being on the show. Oh, Ryan, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, I hope all of you guys enjoyed the show with Peter. It's rare that we get to talk alternative investments on the show, and I was thrilled to have Peter on to talk about precious metals. So here are four major takeaways from our conversation that I want you to walk away with. Takeaway number one, Peter says why you buy gold is more of a psychological question and that there may be some common reasons that drive you to want to invest in gold. What's the purpose behind you investing in gold? Is it for capital gains? Is it to protect a portion of your portfolio against inflation? Is it for the comfort level of holding gold? A lot of people get comfort from holding gold. It's extremely portable. So you could put 10 coins of gold in your pocket and basically travel around the world and you know, you'd have liquidity no matter which market you went into. Takeaway number two. We discussed the supply and demand aspect of investing in gold and how gold trades inversely with the US dollar. We also give some thoughts as to how US gold stacks up against the gold of other nations. It tends to trade inversely against the value of the US dollar. So if you have US dollar strength, you tend to have weakness in the commodity market, including gold. And if you have weakness in the dollar, you tend to have strength in the gold slash commodity markets. Takeaway number three. 
there's an important factor surrounding the calibration of your portfolio around every six months. Do you understand what to do if your portfolio is maybe getting out of sync? And I know we talk about this on the show about rebalancing. Well, Peter's actually telling us that if we owned precious metals, we should be doing the same thing with our precious metal portfolios we do with our stock portfolios. It's really all about the percentages. Since gold is part of your portfolio, you don't just buy 10% and ignore the fact that it's in your portfolio. What you need to do is you need to calibrate your entire portfolio, whether it's stocks, bonds, uh, real estate's a little bit more difficult on a short-term time horizon, but stocks, bonds, anything you tend to do in the uh, securities markets. And if you add gold to that mix, you need to calibrate that and verify that it's meeting your objectives at least every six months. Takeaway number four, and I think this is the biggest takeaway of the entire show. I have heard lots of questions, and I'm sure Peter's heard this a billion times. Questions like, are you afraid that the government is going to collapse or that the government will ban ownership of gold? Well, did you all know that the ownership of gold was banned in the past? Well, regardless, Peter is wary of commentators or analysts who use fear tactics to sell to the public and into any investment class, but it's really rampant in gold. Fear sells. Don't fall prey to it. It's a fairly significant group that is responsible for about a 20% offtake of the physical precious metals, coin, and bullion market, especially in the United States. Many thanks to Peter for offering his expertise to all of us. I hope you as loyal listeners enjoyed the show. My email has been on fire the past few weeks. Thank you to everyone who has sent in an email, literally dozens and dozens of emails. I really enjoy them. Honestly, it makes all of this worth it. So please keep them coming. I'd really love to increase the size of our community this year, and it won't be possible without your help. It'd be amazing if all of you could help spread the podcast to get our message of taking control over your finances and setting yourself up with a strong financial foundation. Please share the podcast with other physicians and their families. Also, make sure to check out our other podcast called the Physician Finance Minute. That podcast is a daily podcast that will help you crush your debt, understand your cash flow, learn how to invest, and just gain confidence when it comes to your finances. So go check it out wherever you're listening to me right now. It's free. It's literally a minute a day, and it's called Physician Finance Minute. So I really want you guys to become superstars with your finances, but I don't want you to take advice from me on the show. I want you to use this as an educational tool that provides general knowledge. I only give advice to clients who I actually work with that I know something about, and I'm guessing you're not one of them. Honestly, I don't think you should take advice from anybody who doesn't know you. If you're looking for an advisor to help you walk you through your journey, go to physicianwealthservices.com and we can definitely talk about that. But until then, talk to your legal, your tax, or your financial advisor to obtain specific advice. By the way, we talk about many different aspects of student loan repayment, taxes, and other means to create a sustainable financial life, but there's no guarantee of future results based on the actions you take from the show. So again, it is important to talk to someone who does know you and your situation. Next week, we have an awesome show planned with a special guest and friend, Dr. John Jerica. 
Have a great week. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.